Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, good morning. As you uh, already know, we are in our second week, second of eight Sundays, uh, in our fall spiritual growth campaign journey together. We're calling Gospel Revolution. We are uh, we are rediscovering uh, the power uh, that uh, made Christianity what it is, real Christianity. And um, so we're going to jump in. Hey, last week I mentioned a little booklet to all of you called uh, My Heart, Christ's Home. I recommended it to you and just said, hey, wouldn't it be great if somebody, we could just provide one for everybody in the church and uh, before I could get to the back of the room after the service, uh, three of different people approached me and said, buy them, I'll pay for them. So due to the generosity of one of our members who wants to remain anonymous, uh, you've got a free one. Just pick it up at the table when you go uh, out uh, uh, through the lobby today. I want to address uh, two groups of people today. Those of you who are already followers of Jesus, you know you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, you don't have it all figured out. Uh, some of you may be new to the faith. Some of you may have been walking with Jesus for decades. Uh, you're not perfect. You know you're not perfect. Uh, but you, uh, deep down in there somewhere, you desire to know Jesus, to know more about Him. And you really would like to live a life that's pleasing to Him, even though you struggle with temptations like we talked about uh, three weeks ago, struggle and sometimes fall. Uh, we are, those of us who are followers of Jesus are saints, but we are saints who sometimes sin. That's who I'm talking to first. Second, I want to address those of you who are not followers of Jesus. You may be here out of curiosity. You may be here with a friend just out of courtesy to them, but you really have no real interest in the God of the Bible. You have no real interest in, in Jesus you have real no interest, really no interest in aligning your life with his expectations or certainly any of his demands. Uh, that's the two people I want to address this morning. I'd like you to take your Bibles. Uh, we use them every week. I hope you have yours. If you have a hard copy or a digital copy, and turn to the uh, way back over into the back of the New Testament almost to the end of the Bible, way back over here, to the little book of Titus, uh, spelled T-I-T-U-S, Titus. And uh, as you're turning there to Titus chapter 2, there's only three little chapters in this book. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, we find it, put your finger there and hold it there just a moment. Uh, as you're looking, uh, I want to remind you that today we're talking about uh, how the gospel changes us. Now, as a pastor, the Bible has much to say, the New Testament has much to say, especially in the three little books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, uh, directions for pastors as to what they are actually to do. I'm asked that sometimes by our kids, what do you do? And uh, that's a pretty good question. Uh, but one of the things that the Scriptures says that pastors are to do often is to remind you of things. Uh, frequently, we are instructed in the Scriptures 
to repeat and remember and remind, help our people remind, uh, know and remember to remind you of uh, the things that are really important. It's one of the reasons we gather. God has us gather as a church family, uh, all local churches every seven days to kind of repound the nails of what matters, uh, reaffirm, remember God, remember His will, remember His ways, remember His grace. And so I'm going to remind you of some things today, and it's, um, it has a lot to do with why we do what we do. What would, what would turn a person into someone who was uh, eager to obey God? What would turn someone into a person who with great enthusiasm and faith and confidence and love and gratitude out of a desire simply to, to bring pleasure to the Lord Jesus Christ, what would turn them into a person who would live that way, who would want to do so? Well, we're going to find out today, and it's called the gospel. The gospel is what changes us. The gospel is what turns us into the kind of people, not just who obey God, but who obey Him in the, with the kind of obedience that He desires. You see, you can obey God and not be pleasing to God. Did you know that? You can obey Christ and not be pleasing to Christ. It all depends on why. It all depends on the reason that you seek to obey God. If it's out of fear, if it's out of a sense of, oh, no obligation, if I'm not, God's going to get me, or, or a view of, oh, I've got to do good or be good, or God's not going to love me anymore, and I've got to do everything just right so that I'll be okay with God, and you've got this pressure, and you're working, and you're straining, and you're the people who come to me and say, this Christian life is hard. Well, now hear me closely. Life is hard. Right? Life is hard. But the Christian life is not hard. You can, the Christian life, living life with and for Jesus in the midst of a very hard life is not hard. If, if walking with Jesus is very hard and a burden to you, you're doing it for the wrong reason. We're going to get to the root of that today. Now, every expression of the Christian faith has its form of upside-down guilt. Uh, how many of you were raised, not just Baptist, but like me, you raised Southern Fried Baptist? I want to know if it, yeah, we have our version of guilt, don't we? You know, you, some, much of the preaching you grew up had you hanging over hell like a weenie, you know? You know, Sunday school was a rotisserie for you, it was that kind of, we, we've got our version of, of, of guilt. How many of you have uh, good old Roman Catholic guilt in your back? Yeah, I got some of those. You know, We all have our different versions of guilt because it's so easy to get this thing upside down with the very best of intentions. The very best of intentions. So let's, let's get it right side up today. I want to remind you how this works. I want to remind you how the gospel changes us. We are accepted by God and we change. Not, we change, and then we're accepted by God. So here we go. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Here's the setting. Uh, the young man Titus was one of the first ever church planters. He was commissioned by the Apostle Paul to go to the island of Crete and to continue to, to, to finish... Um, what had just begun 
through Paul's ministry of sharing the gospel and forming new believers into churches. He was to go to every community on the island of Crete, form churches, put pastors in place over all those churches. He was a young guy. He had a daunting task because Crete, the culture of Crete in that day was very much like ours today. People were dishonest. You couldn't trust their word. People were gluttons. They ate too much, drank too much. They had a problem with food addiction. They had a problem with alcohol addiction. Uh, People uh, had a problem with slander and gossip. People had a problem with uh, hating and being hated, full of malice. Uh, People had a problem with self-control. The older men didn't live respectable lives. The younger men never had lived respectable lives in any culture, hardly. Um, Just look at the guys in the stands on the college football. They've said, hmm. So, um, uh, you know, let's show, are you right? The view, how many of you got fathers of daughters here? I just want to see them. Fathers of daughters. Three? Really? I got, I, I, they zoomed in on the student section at a couple of the games yesterday, and I thought, man, they're going to show up at some daddy's door asking for his daughter. So, um, and, uh, <clears throat> So out of control, they, they had people out of control. Um, the, the women had a problem with gossip. The younger women uh, were having problems with their marriages. It was just, it sounded just like Peachtree City. It sounds just like us. People just like us 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet having the same problem living life. And many of them were, were, all, they were all brand new believers Any Christians there were brand new baby Christians, no matter how old they were. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Titus, head of church planting on the island of Crete, to say, here's what I want you to teach them, and uh, teach them this is what living with Jesus looks like, and this is how you can do it. So we come to this passage, chapter 2, verse 11. This is God's Word. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us for Himself, a special people eager to do good works, eager to do good works. Pray with me. So, Lord Jesus, we come to Your Word, come before You, asking that You open our ears that we may hear rightly, open in our eyes that we may see wonderful things from Your Word, opening our minds that we may properly understand the Scriptures, so that we may properly understand You and follow You rightly and be transformed by Your good news and the work that You have accomplished on our behalf. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Only love for God, or let me say it this way, love love for Jesus, gratitude for Jesus and His saving grace is the only proper motive for obedience. The only proper motive for obedience. And not only the only proper motive, it's the only thing that will motivate us to love and obey Him back. One writer, 
uh, J.D. Greer, who's the author of our small group studies that we are doing uh, as a part of our Gospel Revolution campaign, kind of said it this way, love for God in us only comes by grasping the love of God for us. Love for God in us only comes by grasping the love of God for us. And let me add, in Christ Jesus, what he's saying here. And so let me remind you, those of you who are followers of Jesus, once again, he has us take a laser-like focused look at who Jesus is and what he has done for us because that is the only thing that can create love in our hearts for him that generates obedience to Him out of gratitude. Here's what he says about the grace of God in verse 11. He says, the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all. Now, that little uh, look at verse 11 and underline that phrase, with salvation. Circle that and uh, know that that is actually one, one word in the original language and it's an adjective and it, it actually modifies grace. So you could translate this, and I like to translate this uh, verse this way, the, well, let me see your eyes, here we go. The salvation-bringing grace has appeared for all men. This salvation-bringing grace of God has appeared with, uh, for all people. Now, he's speaking of our Lord Jesus. When he's speaking of this one who appeared, in this little passage, we see both views of Jesus. Looking back on His original coming, we're going to celebrate that at Christmas and what He accomplished when He came, lived, died on the cross, rose from the dead uh, on our behalf. And then in a moment, we're going to look forward to His return. You have both views of His appearance in this little passage. And so when we speak of the salvation-bringing grace of God, we're speaking of Jesus Himself and what He accomplished when He came to earth, demonstrated who God is and what He's like, went to the cross innocently and died for our sins in our place, paying the penalty for our sins to set us free from the penalty and the power of sin over our life. This is Jesus, His salvation bringing grace of God has appeared for all people. Now this means that now it is possible for all people to be saved, all people to come to know Him. He is available to all who would ask this grace of God. Now, there are two kinds, two expressions of the grace of God in the Bible. Here's the first one. The first one is called common grace. Say it with me. Common grace. Common grace. And then there is saving grace. Say that with me. Saving grace. And they're different. Now, the grace of God... All grace of God is God's, it is God's undeserved love and favor and blessing poured out upon sinful humanity. All grace of God. The common grace of God He gives to all people regardless whether they ask Him for it or not, whether they love Him or not, whether they believe in Him or not. Those of you who believe in Him and follow Him, He pours out His common grace on you. Those of you who have absolutely no interest in Him, maybe you're even hostile toward Him, maybe you curse Him and shake your fist in His face. Just because He loves you, He pours out His common grace. Jesus expressed uh, common grace this way in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, about verse 45, along in there, he said, For God 
causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He causes His rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I mean, it's kind of like when you got here today, walking up through the parking lot. Rain was falling on everybody. I don't know which you were. The just or the unjust, the evil or the good. But what he's saying is that there, there are some things, just because God is fatherly toward all human beings, He pours out His grace. He provides the sunshine that allows us to live. He provides the rainfall uh, that enables us uh, to uh, live. He provides all of this atmosphere, this, this planet upon which we live. He is very patient. The Bible says He is patient with all men, desiring all men uh, to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. He wants everybody to be saved. He's so patient for those of you who have yet to commit your life to Christ that um, one of His examples is back in the Old Testament, the story of Noah. Remember him? Noah? Animals, boat, that and that Noah. Well, Noah, God had Noah preach to the people for a hundred years or more, calling them to repent and return to God before God finally said, okay, sin's going to be atoned for, the rain falls, He shut the door. A hundred years, that's pretty patient. That's pretty patient. By the way, I've often wondered why we decorate our children's rooms with scenes of Noah. That's a gruesome scene. Change it. Only Noah, he's shutting the door. There's, you know, people banging on, help, let us in. We just kidding, you know. Can't you let us get, and people in mass dying, bodies floating. Yet God, that was after over a hundred years of Him calling, begging people to repent and return. He, common grace, common grace. But then there is saving grace, and that's what we're talking about here. God gives His common grace to all people, right? He gives saving grace only to those who know they need it. He gives saving grace only to those who ask for it. Dr. Harry Smith was a... Uh, uh, pastor in the state of Georgia for many, many years. I met him when he was 85 years old. I've been retired, uh, still very active in, in, in serving the Lord, very dignified man. When Allison and I came to Fayette County 30-something years ago, he was in the church we were in, and he approached us on the first Sunday that we were there, and he walked up, and I'd met him in our interviews previously, and he walked up to me, and he had a he had a black and white photo of a of a cabin. You could tell up on a mountainside. He he walked up and he said, "Young man, he he was Southern aristocracy. He drank water." And he said, "Young man, this is my cabin. It's mine." Yes, sir. And he said. It's only available to them who ask. Walked away. Well, that's pretty generous, isn't it? It's only available to anyone who asks. Anyone who asks. Saving grace is only available to them who admit they need it. 
This is the salvation bringing grace of God that comes through faith alone in Christ alone. And it does several things for us. Here we go. There's several words I want to give you. First of all, it teaches us. It instructs us. Verse 12 says this saving, uh, sal- this save- salvation bringing grace of God instructs us, teaches us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. The word there, instruct, means not just to tell us what's right, but to energize us. It speaks not just of information, but of motivation. It speaks not just of of um, uh, showing what should, should not and what should be done in our lives, but he, it speaks of bringing the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit who indwells us not only to know what God wants us to do, not only to desire what God wants us to do, but actually to do it. He gives us the power to obey. The grace of God, salvation bringing grace of God, instructs us, trains us, disciplines us to do, first of all, a negative obedience, to deny something, to deny godlessness and worldly lust. To that word deny means to renounce, to turn from, to refuse any longer to indulge in. Godlessness. Now that simply means this. It means not only living apart from God, but it means living against God. Anywhere on that continuum, godlessness, just leaving God out of my life. And it teaches us, it enables us to turn from a life that leaves God out of the picture completely and enables us also to turn from, to deny, to refuse any longer to indulge in what he calls worldly lusts or or, or worldly passions. It's basically, that phrase means an over-desire. Because you see, not all desires that God gives us are sinful, But when we take them to an extreme, they are. Or when we desire to express them in a way that is illegitimate or against the moral and ethical guidelines of God as designed in the Scripture. Worldly lust, lust for uh, physical pleasure, lust for uh, power, lust for money. The, The Apostle John, way back over in the New Testament, calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Uh... The grace of God, this salvation-bringing grace of God, teaches us, enables us, instructs us to turn from a life without and displeasing to God and instead turn to a life that is, he says what? Sensible, righteous, and godly. Now that word sensible means self-controlled. He not only teaches us that we should have self-control in our speech, in our actions, in our words, our thoughts, our deeds, uh, self-control, but enables us to become a self-controlled person, living a decent life, living an admirable life. Uh, It also means that it teaches us to live a righteous life. Now that word righteous you see there is the word that means just. And it speaks more of living... uh, in a way that brings justice to this world, to our family, to our neighborhood, to our church family, to our community, to our culture. It means living in such a way that human beings flourish because of our activity for God, empowered by God in this world. It's become, you would become a servant. It's not just that we are right with God, but that because we are right with God through faith in Christ, He 
teaches us and enables us to transform the world for the better. It's what Jesus meant when He said in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt that brings flavor to the world. Salt that preserves from uh, decay. Light that dispels the darkness. Uh, We're to live in such a way that people who know Jesus and love Him and people who don't are all better off because we are here. All human flourishing. He says, we, we are enabled to live in such a way that we no longer live for ourselves, but for God in this world. It's a magnificent picture. Sensible, self-controlled, just, righteous, and a godly life. It means to live a God-fearing, God-reverencing, God-inclusive life. A life where we are immersed in our love for God and our desire to know Him and serve Him and and please Him. The grace of God does that for us. We can't do that on our own. We can't work that up. He does that. He, the grace of God instructs us. And He also says that the grace of God... Well, let me say it this way. He says, look at verse 12. He says we're to live this way in this present age. Now, sometimes we Christians are accused of being... Uh, so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. You ever heard that? It's not true. In fact, the way you become earthly good is by being heavenly minded. Don't take that. But here he says we're to live this way now. We live in the kingdom of God now. When we come to faith in Christ, we are under His care and supervision now. While we do wait, verse 13, for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We live joyfully for Him now, serving His purposes. But yes, we do look for the day when He returns, for He is going to return. And when He returns, we not only look for that, but we long for that because while we live as righteous people, hoping to increase justice for all in this world. We know that this world will never be completely just until our Lord returns. And the Scriptures say when He returns, He's going to set everything right. Well, come on, Lord. I mean, come. Now understand why I used to hear my little grandmother, my little Pentecostal grandmother, when she'd pray or she'd hear something bad on the news, she'd say, oh, I'd hear under breath, oh, Lord, come. I just thought, well, that's, I guess, you know, that was a little strange to me then, Lance. It's not now. Oh, Lord, come. He's going to set everything right. He's going to redeem humanity. He's going to set the earth right. He's going to restore things. Justice will be completely served, and our great God will be glorified. So we serve Him now, and, and, and this grace of God causes us to look forward to His coming. We begin to desire Him because we've experienced His love for us. We love Him because He first loved us. Love for God in us comes from grasping the love of God for us in the gospel, in His grace. So this salvation bringing grace in our Lord Jesus Christ instructs us to live in a way that's pleasing to Him while we look for His coming, but it also does this. It redeems us. Write down that word, redeem. In verse uh, 14, the Bible says, He gave Himself for us. Here's the gospel again. To redeem us from all lawlessness. 
now, now the word redeem, I don't know until the Lord returns that we're ever going to get over the bruising on the soul of a nation that came from starting with slavery. Do you? Now, we have brothers and sisters in here whose ancestors were slaves in our own, in our own church. And we have brothers and sisters in our church whose ancestors were slave owners. And we, we're watching this, you know, 150 years later lived out in our... We're still trying to figure out how to get over that, aren't we? Aren't we? Man, God help us. God help us. There's a picture. Uh, it was true in the day of the Apostle Paul when he wrote these words 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world where slavery was an institution. It, it's true now. It was true when slavery was part of this country's culture, that someone uh, had the ability, legally, if they wished, they could come to an agreement on the purchase price for a man or a woman who was a slave, or a boy or girl who was a slave, and they could redeem them with that purchase price, pay whatever price it cost to set them free, to make them a free person. It's called redeeming. This is the picture when it says that He redeemed us. You said, wait a minute, it sounds like we were. He's saying we are all slaves. Yes. We're all slaves to, to the reign and rule of sin over our lives. It has power over us apart from the salvation bringing grace of God in Christ Jesus. It, lawlessness owns us. The theologians say it this way, that before we come to faith in Christ and our own natural condition, we are, here we go, we are not able not to sin. We're like a dead fish in the river, just being swept along in the, uh, the river of sin and temptation. Temptation comes, we just act on it. No self-control, no power to consistently uh, resist. We are swept along. We are under the control. We are under the power. The Bible speaks of it as a, the, the kingdom of sin, the reign and rule of sin. But in Christ, when He redeemed us, He did this. He paid the price to purchase our freedom from sin from the reign and rule of sin over our lives. He sets us free. The words of the great hymn, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Anybody grow up singing that hymn? Uh-huh, uh-huh, it's a good one. Look at it. That's what He's talking about. Canceled sin, forgiven sin, still has power over us, but in Christ, He breaks that power. So that we are now, we have been made able not to sin. That had been a good spot right there to say, yeah, that'd be, that was good preaching if you're just wondering. Yeah, so here he redeemed, this salvation bringing grace of God also redeems us from all lawlessness. It means that Sin no longer rules over us. We now belong to our choice. We've been given a choice. We can obey the Lord or not. Now, we still yield to temptation sometimes, don't we? 
We're not perfect yet. He's working on us. This is all about this process of Him shaping us into the image of Christ. And He's going to do that as long as we're on on the planet. But the salvation-bringing grace of God instructs us to turn from the wrong stuff and accept the right stuff, to look for His coming, to desire Him, to love Him, and He redeems us from the power of sin over our lives. Some of you have besetting sins. You're under the grip of sin. Some of it's addictions. And it's so strong, you're going to need some uh, extra special spiritual soul guidance and direction to help you with that. But let me tell you, let me tell you, He'll break the power of that sin over your life. He has redeemed us from lawlessness. And not only that, but He cleanses us. The grace of God cleanses us. Look at that verse, verse 14. Not only to redeem us from all lawlessness but also to cleanse for Himself a special people. That word cleanse, is it's the picture of taking a scrub brush and a wash brush and opening someone else and throwing a bunch of suds in there and scrubbing down their souls until they are completely clean. He cleanses us to be a people for Himself. He not only sets us free from the power of sin, but He washes us. From our sin. He forgives our sin and removes our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. Not just legally, not just out there, up there in his book, but progressively, he begins to clean us up in our everyday living as his own people. And he turns us, by the way, through this salvation bringing grace that has instructed us, that has caused us to look for his coming that has redeemed us from the power of sin and cleansed us from our sin, He turns us into people, now look at that last phrase, who are eager, eager to do good works. Now that word eager there means zealous. It means enthusiastic. It means means grateful. It, It speaks of our motivation. Again, we're not obeying Him because we have to earn His favor. But because we see this amazing thing He's done when He died on the cross and rose from the dead and offered to us while we were still sinners, He died for us and accepted us and and declared us right with God, forgiven, adopted as His children, given His Holy Spirit to indwell us, give us a brand new heart that, that gives us the capacity to love Him and follow Him and give us a home in heaven when we die. We say this is too good to be true, except it's true. Woohoo! He said, Let's, what do you command me, God? Yeah, what do you need? What do you want? I can't, how can I please you? I am so grateful for you. I would just, it, it, the gospel changes us. And that's how. That's how. Obedience that comes from eager gratitude. And for no other reason. Pray with me. So Lord, thank you for reminding us that when the goodness and love for us appeared from you, our Savior, you saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to your mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Thank You for pouring out Your Spirit on us abundantly. 
through Jesus Christ our Savior, and that we have been justified by Your grace and become heirs of the hope of eternal life. Now, Lord, as we look forward to Your return in our eternity, we also trust in Your salvation-bringing grace to teach us to live rightly for You and for the good of people on this earth in this present age. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.